is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the, Tetra the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's good to be with you as we continue our study uh, in the book of Acts. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin to look at these words together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, God, we come this morning, uh, many of us uh, carrying burdens, um, hurting, alone, afraid. God, I pray that you'd be near um, to all the brokenhearted. And God, for those who come uh, with joys as well, I pray that this will be a place of, of celebration and rejoicing. And God, for all of us, as we come easily distracted, I pray that this would be a place where we could settle our hearts for a moment and hear from you. And so God, I pray that you would take these words written so long ago, and God, would you make them alive again in each one of our hearts to know who you are, who you've created us to be, and how we, as your people, live now accordingly. And so we depend on you to speak, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to use one word to describe yourself, what would it be? It'd be kind of a hard exercise, wouldn't it? I'm guessing you'd come up with a few things, and, and frankly, at least for me, like it depend on what mood I was in. Like in a really good mood, I might say adventurous or genuine or, you know, ridiculously good looking. Um, in in my, my normal mood, let's not even go there, right? Uh, I mean, it could be a little scary, but think about that. If you were to take one word and describe yourself, what would it be? Let's broaden it a little bit. If you were to use one word to describe Christians, what would it be? This could be fun. For some of you, you might say angry, hypocritical, judgmental. And honestly, if that's, if that's been your experience, I, I, I can't blame you, I'm sorry. Like Some of us have earned those titles and if that's been your dominant experience with Christians, I am really sorry. It shouldn't be that way. Other, others of you, maybe, maybe a little more positively, right? One word to describe, you might say saved or loved or forgiven or hopeful, right? Or adopted, family, like there's, there's a lot of options, right? And all of them, all of them are good, but we could, we could use any of those. But what if, what if we were to ask the same question to the very first Christians? What would they say? Like those in, in living out these stories in the book of Acts, right there in the first century, the very first Christians, early church, what would they say? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing we'd have a, a lot of overlap. We'd probably say a lot of the same things. But there, there's one word in particular that I'm absolutely confident would be on their list that I'm not, I'm 
not so sure would even make it onto ours. Like one, one word, I know that there's a yes, this is on that list for us. This is part of our, our identity as God's people today that frankly, I think sometimes I just forget. One word to describe Christians. Sent. Sent. By Jesus into the world to know him, love him, love others, be like him, and to help others know him. Sent. That's why we're calling this entire study of the book of Acts, right? That's the title of our of our study, sent, right? Because beginning and end, that is what this book is about, the church's origin story sent out into our world. And so maybe, maybe you hear that and think, okay, well, fine for them. I mean, I get that. Things were different back then, and of course they were sent out into the world. How else would anybody know about Jesus, right? But, but me? Or, or maybe you even hear that and think, well, okay, I mean, maybe a few of us are sent. Maybe missionaries or... Maybe pastors, although those guys are kind of the worst. Um, but me? And so maybe the thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not articulate enough. I'm not, my, my faith isn't strong enough. My life isn't good enough. I mean, sure, for some. But for me? Well, I, I hear that, and I, under, I understand those wrestlings, right? We don't always feel that way. But if you are a Christian, please hear me. You have been sent. Your work, your home, your school, your neighborhood, your relationships, your hobbies, everywhere that you find yourself, God has put you there. And so where has he sent you? Turn to Acts chapter 13 if you haven't already. And this morning, we are at the launch of Paul's first missionary journey. He goes on three throughout the book of Acts, and it's going to take him several years to do it. It won't take us quite as long um, to get through it all. Uh, but if you remember, like, Paul, right, if you can go back, you know, a few months ago as we studied, like, Paul hated Christians. He hated Jesus. did anything he could to, like, squelch any sort of new faith coming, uh, even to the point of, of persecution, right? But he met the resurrected Jesus, gives his life to him, and he becomes this, this church planter spreading the message of Jesus all throughout the, the known world. And it's a remarkable trans- transformation. And as we look at this story, right, he's at the beginning of his first missionary journey. We get a glimpse of just kind of a little paradigm of what it looks like for us to be sent, so go back, go back to the story. We heard the first part of it read. Um, as, we, as we said last week, chapter 13 marks kind of a new scene in the book of Acts. And so if you were to divide Acts into two sections, right, it'd be 1 through 12 and then 13 and beyond, right? And, and so the, the first half of Acts, it's all about Jesus and his church, okay, cover to cover. But the, the first half really centers around Peter. The second half is more about Paul. Uh, the first half is really about the church beginning in Jerusalem and it's local in its reach, but now it, it's the church in Antioch and it's beginning to be global in its reach. The, the first half is primarily about the message of Jesus going to the Jews and now it's more and more about this message going to the Gentiles. And so this is a major shift that's happening as Paul begins this, this journey. And so there they are at the church in Antioch, verse 2, chapter 13. Luke, he's the one who's writing here. He says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out, not just by the church, right, but by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, so here's a, here's a map to help us a little bit and get a, a picture of where they're at. So they start, starting point up there in the corner, Antioch, Seleucia is the port city there. Barnabas and John Mark are with him at this point. Uh, and they, they go from Antioch to Seleucia and they sail to Salamis on the island of Cyprus. And this, this kind of makes sense, like Barnabas was from Cyprus and so that's where, they, that's where they head first, you know, go where they have connections, right? And so they, they start off there in verse five then, when they arrived at Salamis, They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now, wait a second. I thought you said this is primarily about the Gentiles now. Well, it is, but Paul's mode, like we'll see this pattern over and over again. When he goes into town, he goes first to the synagogues. He preaches Jesus to to the Jews, and some often become followers of Christ. And then after that, he goes to the Gentiles, and they come to Jesus in in droves, right? And we'll, we'll see this pattern. This is what Paul does over and over again on these journeys. But what's so important, I think, for us to grab onto first as we think about this paradigm of what it's like for us to be sent is that when they come, they proclaim the word of God. Like, don't don't miss that that detail there. They didn't come with their own ideas, you know, with their their six tips on how to start a new religion, right? It wasn't simply their opinions or happy stories. They They were sent to proclaim the truth. And when God sends us, his people, you and I, like it or not, we're sent to proclaim the truth. And you don't, you don't have to be a, a church planter or a missionary. You don't even necessarily have to go anywhere to be sent. God wants to use you wherever he has put you. And wherever that is, I mean, picture that. Picture the places that you spend the majority of time. Wherever that is, God has put you there to proclaim his truth. Not a list of rules or a particular lifestyle. We don't come with a political agenda or a bunch of opinions. We come with truth. And I realize even by saying that, I've lost some of you already, right? Right? Let's just, let's just call it out because, I mean, one of the worst things I can say or any of us can say in our context today is that we have the truth, right? It just sounds so arrogant, doesn't it? Really? Well, friends, I don't believe in Jesus simply because it works for me or because it makes me feel good. I believe because I think it's actually true, that these things actually happen, that this life that we're welcome to, that it's, that it's actually real. And it's, it's not because, yes, it can sound arrogant, but it's not because we're, we, we think we're smarter or better. That cannot be the case. There is no arrogance with Jesus. Like the starting point is absolute humility because you know there is no hope without him. There's no, there's no room for arrogance as we say we have the truth. And while this may be so hard for us to stomach in our culture, this concept of truth, I mean, we are so desperate for it, aren't we? I mean, just, just look around. Like, we crave it. We, we are lost. We're, we're running after all these things that we think are going to satisfy us, make us happy. 
and they leave us empty over and over. We, we, just, we want someone to help us, someone to show us. We crave some sense of truth. And it's not just us today, right? Like even, even back then, 2,000 years ago, when we get to verse 42, which believe it or not, we will actually get that far uh, in a few minutes. Might be more than a few minutes. Um, but they, like, like they flock to Paul. They beg Paul to keep preaching, which by the way has never happened to me. Um, I'm still waiting for that moment. Nathan, would you just keep talking? No, it's never, it's never happened. It's always the opposite. But they, they beg them to tell them more because they are so desperate for this message of truth. And we are just as desperate as they are. We long for it. We reject it, but we know that we need it. We run from thing to thing thinking this one is it. This will be my truth and this will give me hope and happiness and it leaves us it leaves us empty. For, for example, and this, I think this is culturally where we're, where we're at today. Sean Mendez uh, captures this really well. I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Mendez. I saw at least one person go like this, finally, uh, with me now. Um, but he, pop star, right? Sean Mendez, anybody? So he's 19. He's ridiculously talented. I mean, he's just kind of sickeningly talented. Um, but his, his, most, his most recent hit, uh, In My Blood, you heard this song, anybody? Just flip on the radio, it'll come on every third or fourth song about. Um, but this, listen to this. So this isn't just me saying, because I like this song, right? It, in two months, has 120 million views on YouTube. Two months, 120 million. That's just YouTube, right? You had Spotify and Amazon and the radio and people have actually bought a CD, right? I mean, it's, people are obsessed with this song. So I want to I wanna listen to a little bit of it here, um, because it shows our desperation for truth. Let's watch. Someone help me. And, I, and I, I love that song in many ways because I, I feel like it so captures where we're at as a culture. Because Sean, in that, that song, he writes incredible verses. But we as a culture write terrible choruses. And here's what I mean by that. Like in that, like he, he totally gets it. Like yes, it, it's not enough. One more drink and I'll feel better. Take her home and I'll feel better. Just give me something, right? And like you and I, you've been there. I've been there. I'm always looking for that next thing that's going to do it for me. That is the verse that our world is stuck on. But his chorus, so I'm just going to try better. 
I mean, that's, that's the gist of the song. Nothing is making me happy, so I'm just going to try harder. That is the song we write in our culture, people. That is where we live, and we have, we have the verse, right? Desperate, hungry, longing. We just can't get the chorus. But here, I mean, Paul is showing us, as he, as he brings the gospel to these people, a better chorus. Because even Sean says, someone, someone help me. And I just kind of want to say to him, like, that's your truth, man? That's, that's it? That's as, that's as good as you can do? But friends, we have, we have what he's looking for. I mean, do you know why in record numbers people all over the world are coming to Jesus? I mean, in really hard places like the Middle East, China, and North Africa, like where it's not, you're not becoming a Christian in those places because it's convenient, right? I mean, your life gets much harder with Jesus. You're not, you're not coming because you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to offer you a moment of, of happiness or satisfaction. It's because, I mean, they're, they're coming because they believe at, the, at its very core. It's true and that it is a message of, of life and hope and that anything else, whatever, whatever verses we keep singing, will never satisfy until we get this chorus right. It'll never be enough. And it's, it's the message. It's the truth that you and I long for. I mean, in summary, right, it's the message that there is a God that he made you, that he loves you. And instantly, even just by saying that sentence, life has meaning. Like, you're not an accident. But we rebelled against this God. And instantly, even just saying that, but things begin to make sense. Like, that's why I'm so broken. That's why the world hurts me so badly. It's a disaster. But our story, it doesn't stop there. That We have a God who doesn't just send his followers. He sends his own son who dies in our place who comes back alive out of the grave to rescue us and to give us hope, meaning, love, forgiveness, a new family. And I, I realize, believe me, I, there are so many hurdles in our culture to belief. I get that. Some of you are stuck right at a few of those. You just can't quite go. There's, there's a lot of hurdles, a lot of hard questions. But regardless of who you are this morning, whether you, whether you believe this or not, just pause for a second and it, don't you at least want it to be true? And I know may, wanting it to be true, that doesn't, that doesn't make it true. But doesn't this, doesn't this answer some of the deepest longings of your heart? Isn't this the chorus that you've been humming from the very beginning? Longing for, knowing that there's more. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we are sent with that truth, every one of us, to a world who's desperate for it who needs us so badly. So where has God sent you? Okay, so we've covered five out of our 52 verses. We're not going to make it if you're keeping track. We'll do our best. Um, so go back, go back to the story here because Luke tells us more in this, this, as this paradigm unfolds. So they're still in Cyprus at this point. And Cyprus, just so you know, is like a... a pretty spiritually dark and oppressive place. Uh, and so a lot of cultic worship. It would have been like temples to the goddess Aphrodite, so kind of a, a sex god. So there would have been a lot of sexual abuse in that area. I mean, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, great, a great place where Barnabas grew up, right? And, and so they're, they're going through the town, or through the island, preaching this message of, of, of Jesus when they meet two really unlikely characters. And so we've kind of been big picture here. Now Luke kind of zooms in on this, these two unlikely characters. They, they meet this Roman official and his magician. Sort of like a, like a fortune teller, right? 
And so he works for the official. He's kind of like part of the, the advisory board, the cabinet kind of thing. And uh, it's prob- probably a pretty good job. He's got a, he's got a voice to the, the power there. He he's probably makes a decent living. In verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Hmm, that's an interesting name. Why does Luke tell us that? Well, that means, that means son of Jesus. Luke wants us to feel a little bit uncomfortable here for a second. Like, what do you mean son of Jesus, right? Well, Jesus was a common name back then, so it's no, no relation to our Jesus. But, but Luke, I mean, I think he's doing this on purpose because later on he calls him by his other name, Elamas. It's almost like Luke could only bring himself once to say that this guy's the son of Jesus, right? Like he wants us to feel like something is not right here in this, in this story. And so this, this, this wicked son of Jesus, he looks like trying to get us to cringe a little bit. Ooh, son of Jesus. This guy? Verse 7. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Even just think about that. Like the message is spreading so quickly and the news is so good that this Roman official is like, man, you got to go get Paul and Barnabas. Bring them to me. I have got to hear more. tell, Tell me this. Tell me who this Jesus is. And so, so he invites them in, and, but verse, verse 8, but Elamas, the magician, you know, bar Jesus, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Sir, you're not really swallowing this, are you? That this, this guy rose from the dead? You're not going to buy that, are you? I, mean, I kind of love the irony of the story. I mean, this guy's like busy reading his tarot cards, but believing in Jesus is just too much, right? I mean, it's kind of how we do though, isn't it? We just pick and choose. Like we all have our, our things that we believe and grab onto. And so that, that's, that's his for him. And in this moment, it's almost, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's almost as if Paul gets to hear his previous self in this moment. Because anyways, this is where Paul was, right? Not too long ago, back a few chapters, a few, a few, few years back. Different background, certainly, different, different motivation, but he was doing the same thing, trying to convince others that there's no way this guy Jesus could be who he said he was. There's no way. And so, so in this, this moment, Luke says that he, Paul looks deeply at him. It's almost, I feel like it's almost, like, I used to be just like you, man. I know, I know what it's like. I know that path. Son of Jesus. Hardly, verse 10, you son of the devil. You've got to love Paul, right? You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time and immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. That seems harsh. Sheesh. But again, this is part of why I think Paul is even in this moment thinking back to his own conversion story. Paul went blind for a time, right? So he, he knows what it's like not just to be blind spiritually and not understand the realities of God pursuing him, but even the physical blindness that came. And for Paul, it led to, to repentance, to, to conversion, to hope, to this new life of being sent out with, with the truth. 
And you can't miss it here as we think about this paradigm. Sent with the truth, yes, sure. But we're also sent to opposition. Great. But that's, that's the second thing. We're, we're sent to opposition. And yet we are so surprised when people reject us, aren't we? Like when people mock us or our belief systems or the things that we think are right or wrong. Or, like we're just, we, just, we don't have a category for it, but we see this all over the book of Acts that we will be rejected. We will be opposed. People will laugh at us and despise us and possibly someday like is happening all over the world even now. Even one day persecute us. And who can blame the world for opposing us? I mean, even just think about it, like, like Jesus uproots the status quo at every turn, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what culture you're from or where you're at, like Jesus, like he says some pretty offensive things. Like if you've never been offended by Jesus, you've either not taken him seriously or you've not actually read what he said, right? His words are hard for us. We believe in things like justice, morality, human dignity. We believe that a previous dead guy, previously dead guy is alive, and that he rules the universe and will one day return. What did you think was going to happen? Don't be afraid of opposition. I mean, don't make it worse either. I mean, good grief. Some of us are just judgy, arrogant, mean, self-righteous. Like, that is not what we're getting at here, okay? Like, don't, don't bring it on yourself. But don't be afraid of it either. And I know, I know for some of you, you feel this opposition every day. Maybe you feel it at home. Can't imagine what that'd be like. Maybe you feel it at the, at the workplace and the comments that are made around you. Maybe you've been passed over for certain promotions because of ways you want to act and behave that you think honor, honor God. Students, kids, I, just, I can't imagine what it's like for you and the challenges that you face in our world today, being surrounded constantly right, by those who oppose these kinds of ideas. It must be really hard at times. Take hope. Jesus himself has sent you there. And besides, sure, the, the mag- magician opposes them, but the Roman official, he joins them. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Not everyone will oppose. Not everyone will believe. Some will. And so, so Paul and Barnabas, then, we're going to speed through the, the last part of the story. They go to the mainland, then. They start the process all over again. And, and this time, Luke tells us the content of, of Paul's sermon, right? It's, a, it's lot, lots of details here is going on. The gist of it is that, that God has always acted graciously, pursuing his people. He's, he's done this from the very, very beginning, culminating with his son Jesus who died for us. That, that is our message over and over again. Here it is. And it builds to this point in verse, verse 30, and Paul says to these people, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled. And skip, skip to verse 38. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And they hear that and they beg Paul to come back. Paul, you got to come. You got to tell us more. Show us, show us how. And, and when Paul returns, almost the whole city is there to hear the word of the Lord. And so, yes, we're sent with the truth. Not our opinions, our agendas, our ideas of what makes a happy religion. No, we're sent with God's truth. And yes, we're sent to opposition. We will be rejected and despised. But friends, we are also sent to persuade because some will believe. Not because we're so articulate, right? Not, not, not by the force of our arguments, but simply by the grace of God at work through his people. Some will believe. They'll look at our lives. I mean, believe it or not, our lives, yours and mine, imperfect though they are, and they'll see hope. Even in the midst of adversity, they'll hear our message that life has meaning, that forgiveness can be ours, and through the hidden work of the Spirit, some will join us. Do you believe that? So where has God called you? Where has he sent you? Not, not one of your relationships is an accident. Again, picture those places in which you spend the majority of your time, work, home, school, whatever it is. None of that's on accident. There's no context in which you can be found where God cannot use you. And just imagine if this time tomorrow we lived like that. If we actually embrace this reality that we have been sent by the God of the universe into these places. I mean, there'd be a whole new purpose, wouldn't there? A, a, new, a new intentionality. I'm guessing a whole lot more prayer, at least for me. But also, I think, even more joy. We don't, we don't typically think of joy in this context, do we? But it kind of it reminds me of a book I just read. Oh, the title is so bad. Uh, but the book itself was good. It's the, uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. It's, got a, it's the worst title I've ever heard in my life. It's awful. Uh, but it came very highly recommended, and I finally gave in. Uh, it was a bestseller a few years ago. Netflix is making it into a movie. For those of you who've forgotten how to read, uh, you can watch it uh, in a couple of months. Uh, but it, it's basically uh, uh, the story of the German occupation of the Channel Islands during World War II. So the islands in between Brit Britain and France, they're British Isles, uh, but the Germans took over, and everybody was in captivity for five years. Okay? So that's, that's basically the, the, the gist of, the, of the, the story. And it's a collection, basically, of, of everybody's experiences during that time. And there's, there's one in particular that just, man, it just grabbed me when I read it. And so this guy was, was asked, who lived through this five-year captivity, he was asked, what was the hardest part? five years as a captive. It wasn't the hostility of the Germans. It wasn't the lack of food or the utter lack of control every moment of every day. He said it was that he had to be silent. And he went on and he described that 
when, when the Germans took over, they confiscated all the radios. They were all taken away. And so they could have no news from the outside world, have no idea what's going on except for German propaganda sent to them. No idea what's going on in the war. But this guy had snuck in a radio. And he had heard the reports of D-Day. And he knew that the war was soon to be over. The victory was assured. And he could tell no one. That, he said, was the hardest part. Because this joy, great as it is, but hoarded joy is misery. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. When I, when I read that in the book, we were, we were on a camping trip. I was looking out at, at the woods. And I, I mean, I just, it hurt me. Because I just thought, man, we have the greatest news the world has ever known. That there is a God who made us, who loves us, who came here to get us, who died and rose again and promises to do the same for us. And we don't have to be silent about it. That instead, instead, you and I, we, we get to welcome others into our joy. Joy. I mean, I tell you, that's, that is not a word I think of when I think about sharing my faith, right? Or, you know, being sent. Anybody else like joy? No, like I think of fear, right? Uh, I think of awkward, I feel guilt. That's a word I have because I don't do it often enough, right? I mean, I tell you, I I could stand up here and I can talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus to you all day. I won't, like, but I I could probably do it. I won't. But I tell you what, I'm with my neighbors, my unbelieving family members. I am just like most of you, awkward and afraid. I don't know what to say. I feel like a bumbling fool. Like, how do I get this out, right? Joy is not something I often think of. And yet, where does this story end for Paul? Because Paul, I mean, he ends up getting kicked out of this village, right? And so he comes back, he preaches, but there's this this uprising against them. The persecution gets harder, and they're all, I mean, they are run out like animals from this village. Completely opposed and rejected. I mean, yes, some believe, but so many, so many want nothing to do with Paul. It's ugly, but look how Luke ends the story in verse 52. And as they're going away, right, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that's the last thing, friends. You and I, we are sent with joy. We gotta be. I mean, it seems, it seems so exhausting to live this kind of life, right? To be, think of being sent out, and man, it's just, I don't know if I have the strength, and yet, with it, we experience God's presence and joy like none other. And some of you know this. I mean, some of, some of you live this out way better than I do, and you know the joy of the early church. I want that too. And so let me just end with two recent examples. A couple of week, weeks ago, for, for example, we got a phone call here at the church, um, not from somebody who attends here. Um, and I, I mean this with all due respect. I hope this doesn't sound at all mean or negative towards this individual, but it was very clear within five seconds that they called to pick a fight. Like, they, they, they were angry. It was clear they were hurting. Like, and there was, there was just no winning in that situation. We tried to listen, you know, tried to care for them as best as we could, but it was like it was a lose-lose from, from second two, Right? And, and that, that call ended, and who knows what will happen. Like, I wish, I wish there was a happy story here, but the reality is we should not be surprised when people oppose us. I mean, 
Jesus challenges the status quo of everything we believe, right? Everything that we build our lives on naturally without him. So of course we're gonna be opposed. And I wish, I wish there was a happy ending to that story. Maybe, maybe someday, not right now. But I also, I also wanna tell you about Carter. Because Carter started attending Christ Community about a, about a year ago. Started just tagging along with a friend. He didn't, wasn't a Christian, didn't, didn't believe these things, but he's a good sport, and he, he came along with his friend. And in, in that time, as he started attending and, and just, you know, being present at church, um, everything in Carter's life fell apart. And, and he, he quickly owned up to the fact that he had a long history of drug and alcohol abuse and addiction, and um, began the long, hard road of recovery, you know, inpatient, rehab, outpatient, AA, I mean, the whole deal. And some of you have walked that road. It's, I mean, brutal, right? Difficult. But in the midst of that process, he asked one of our pastors, what should I do? He didn't, didn't grow up in the church, didn't know really anything much at all about Jesus. And so the pastor hooked him up with the Bible and said, well, if you're going to start reading, maybe start with the Gospels, maybe the Gospel of Mark, right? And he quickly devoured all of them, this guy. And he came, came back just a couple months ago, and they, they sat down again with this pastor at the Brookside campus. And um, I, love, I love Carter's response in that whole process after reading the Gospels, beginning to take Jesus seriously. He said in the midst of all of his doubts and struggles, right, and we all have hurdles when it comes to belief, but he said, why wouldn't anyone want this to be true? Like as he, as he read it again, I know that doesn't, make it, that doesn't make it true, but it spoke to the very deepest longings of his heart and he gave his, his life to Jesus. And with that, friends, there, there's joy for God sent his own son. And now he sends his church. It's us. So where is God sending you? Let's pray. Father, this is so hard for us. It's hard, it's hard for me, at least, because I'm, I'm busy and I don't know what to say, and often even the relationships that I have time to build are so shallow. Um, and it, it's hard, not just because of those things internally that we all deal with or we don't know what to say, but all those, those, those hurdles that we find, God, it's hard because our, um, even though our world is so desperate for this truth, we're so resistant to it. And so, God, I, I pray that you would break through first into my heart and the heart of all the Christians who are here to recognize um, that every place we go, you've put us there. And that we can be your people in those places. So I, I pray first for that, but second, God, I pray that you would continue to do this, this work that we cannot do with our arguments or with our nice words or even with living a good enough life. God, I pray that by your spirit you'd break into the hearts and lives of the people around us. That we love and care for. God, I know so many of us, we can, we can see those faces even now. God, I pray that you would break into their hearts through your spirit to draw them to yourself so together we could have great joy. And so, Lord Jesus, even as we continue this time of worship, we praise you that you have found us, that you have rescued us, and that our labor is not in vain. Amen.
Well, friends, this is our, our great hope together. Um, this is the message that we have, the good news, the best news. And, and as I said, like our, our world, we, we understand the verses. We've got those down, the desperation, the longing, the hopelessness. But friends, we sing a better chorus of a God who loves us and came to rescue us. And we, we get to share that joy with everyone around us. And so as we go this morning, sent out, because I mean, as, as we often say, right, we're, we're here at the church gathered, but we are the, we are the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, everywhere you go, in every place in which God has put you, you are his ambassador, his representative. And so go out with these words from the Apostle Paul as a blessing as we go into our weeks, into every place in which God has called you. May, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and in every good word. Amen? Go in peace.